to his left and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defence. Just watch this. Good evening and welcome to the 249th rated sports podcast in Ireland, the Molecast. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Um, we all actually ended up watching in our various homes the Ulster versus Munster game, Munster versus Ulster game, I should say, uh, last Saturday night, which resulted in a 14-man Munster uh, kind of rescuing their sinking reputation by uh, overcoming Ulster, who had stopped playing, essentially. Uh, you said to me during the week that you almost let out an involuntary squeal of delight when you saw Munster, who were trying to play some rugby, score the winning try in that match. I believe I said yelp rather than squeal. Munster <laughs> um, have been on the receiving end of uh, a lot of kicking, I think, this the last couple of weeks. Um, so do you think that victory was anything more, more than uh, to... You utilise the cliche appropriately, papering over the cracks for Johan van Graan's team. Oh, it's it's a big question. <laughs> There's a lot of it. Probably did paper over the cracks because you can't change, you can't change. You know uh, what he's been doing for four years in a week. Um, I was going to say it's complete validation of the van Graan project. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Listen, I could be wrong. So make some market. I thought it was a good hefty paper though, like a lining paper to paper over the cracks, almost structural. Um, and I did, I surprised myself because um, I, I literally was like, I was actually, uh, I wasn't say delighted, but I was happy that Munster got the score. And, and at that stage, you know, it almost guaranteed the win because I was grew extremely frustrated with how Ulster played. And, you know, from the previous week, we'd, uh, I think, again, we'd all watched Munster Connacht in, in separate houses and, and talked about it a bit afterwards on the phone. Uh, in that game, Munster played f- fuck all rugby. And in this game, Ulster played some rugby at the start and then played really badly. And Tygburn played loads of rugby and Tygburn oh. wasn't picked. So you still you still come back to selection or I, I come back to selection. There's, there's lots to talk about, but... It was the first time I can remember him picking Crowley and Hodnett and uh, Big Tom Tom to start a match. And Sean French as well, albeit out of position, so be it. Um, And I I was, Jesus, I was crying out for those three to start. So, like, if Tygburn hadn't started, would Munster have won? No, 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 they wouldn't have. No. He was huge. It was a great game for him. Um... I was. I thought at the time when I, when the team was announced, I thought like that's the most exciting team or the team that got me most excited about a monster selection in Van Graan's four years. It's not an exaggeration. He hasn't always had uh, such uh, able young options. Like in his first two year, I felt the academy wasn't quite where. <clears throat> sorry, when I say the academy, I mean the third year of the academy wasn't really ready to step up, nor were the, the people in the sort of first year of development contracts. But I felt he was like a, a, probably a year behind with Gavin Coombs. 
Um, Gavin Coombs could have had the season that he had last season, the previous season, if that's not too confusing. <laughs> and um, and I felt like he was just sitting on Crowley. Like if, and more than anybody, Tom O'Hearn, like I've said this to you before, but if you had a guy like Tom O'Hearn in your organisation called a squad, called an organisation, I could not wait as a coach to to get that guy into my team. Like he would be in my match day 23 all the time and be like, this guy has so much potential. And he'd be there going, I just want to see how good this guy can be and make him as good as he can be. Um, and, you know, he had, a, he had a super game now. Tyburn was D-class on the pitch. People are sort of, oh, Tom Hearn would be my man in the match. Fucking why? Did you have your eyes closed watching the game? Tyburn was the best player on the pitch. <coughs> what? Did you say that? No, I didn't say that. No, the best player in the pitch who didn't get any, maybe he got like a grudging nomination from Donald Lennon as a Munster man. The best player in the pitch was, was Tyke Byrne, but like not far off him was Mike Haley. Oh, God. Mike Haley, Mike Haley gets no love. And like oh. this isn't the first time. Mike Haley plays week in, week out, and he's Munster's best player. Um, because he's English, he never gets a shout. And because he's a proper fullback who plays like a proper fullback, and like he, he's not going to give you any sort of coruscating winger-like runs but mm-hmm. he's not going to make like massive mistakes all the time and be unable to cover the backfield <laughs> like, it, was a, it was a master class from him he was playing with with one person or one other person in the back three for 65 minutes and it was like he knew where the ball was going to be kicked uh, you know 30 seconds in advance now Quality of the kicking wasn't good, but there's still a fucking huge amount of space. Tolman Park is not a small pitch, and he was his positioning was outstanding. He had one one bad kick, you know, which went straight into touch at the end, and you could see like the tone of the comments in that. I think Hugh Cow was commentating on the channel I watched, and I was like, my God, like this guy's been so good in his fullback fundamentals. Like the thing that he's there to do, he makes one mistake, and they're like, oh. Like as though that summed up his game. You're going, like it's just a blemish on his game. Yeah, and he, he scored a try, and he stood in the right place to score a try in the first half, and when, when they didn't give him the ball, I disagree with you about uh, Tom Ahern and Crowley. Like Joey Carberry's been injured for ages, and mm-hmm. his and Crowley's next bit of competition for the place is Ben Healy, who's a year older than him and didn't have an international under twenties career like Crowley had. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tom Ahern. Um, like they signed Snyman ahead of him then they went out and signed Jason Jenkins and they have two Irish internationals playing in the second row so like the, I would say that there's more guys in Ahern's now there's two positions Ahern can play in mm-hmm. and 10 is a more pressurised position but I like Raj wanted to take Crowley over to yeah, La Rochelle now like I was like I was I, was, I, I think Crowley's super and it remains to be seen, like, is he the real deal, real deal? Are you kind of jumping the gun based on under-20 performances? But some of, like, his footwork is you can't coach. Like, you, you can either do that or you can't. And he dropped the ball a few times. Uh, but, like, it was, it was a wet night, it was a slippery night. So you're waiting to see, like, does he, does he drop too many clangers playing in senior rugby or was it just one of those things? And the more exposure that he gets, the better. Um, and... Jesus, like, there's a long way to go. I was thinking of JJ Hanrahan, who's playing well for. Sorry, JJ was there as well as competition for for Crowley. But like, I was thinking, you know, not not all of this season, and I was thinking of uh, Crowley 
sorry, JJ moving over to Northampton and Myler was ahead of him. And like Myler was always ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wouldn't have thought that going over. You think, oh, JJ's on the rise. You know, he's a top three in the world under 20. Uh, he can do this, he can do that. And Myler sort of showed you, no, no, no. Like if you've been around and you want to play out half, like this is the way it works. And then Fanning wrote an article about uh, McGinty moving to Bristol next year. And he's had a very... He's, he's, he's had a very successful career in sale, like given that, you know, is, you'd be sort of concerned like a sale, a, a place where careers go to die and it hasn't been, like they, they've got better over recent seasons and McGinty's been part of that and now he's going to Bristol, which is big money and under Pat Lamb again. And you sort of go, again, like not a stellar, like not a real quick-footed, you know, Carla Spencer type of an out-half, but a guy who can pull the strings and do all the sort of things. And maybe... That's the way that um, oh, the name escapes me of the tall guy. Who, who's the fellow, the ginger fellow, the tall fellow? Ben Healy. Ben Healy. Like maybe that's the way that his career develops and he keeps doing it, but he, he won't be able to do what Crowley does. So, yeah. well, the Irish provinces are essentially, in a, in a sort of an ultimate way, they're also like half of their job is to build players for Ireland, where it yeah. absolutely isn't Sale Sharks or Bristol's no. job to produce English out half. Correct. That's is uh, like that's a fundamental theory about the nature of rugby in Ireland is like it's control from top down. You know that there's one uh, <laughs> one leader. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and he, you know, he makes the trains run on time and into each other, um, <laughs> and then blames the women. <laughs> Speaking of the. Uh, out half situation. Uh, Billy Burns was running diagonally a lot for Ulster. Um, is he running diagonally out of a like an Irish contract? What's like? How yeah. was he? How was he starting for us in the in the Six Nations last year? How was that? A well, I call call Andy Farrell a selectorial genius, and I've credited him a lot. But I do look back at that selection and go, "What were you thinking?" Like if Van Gran wasn't a pick, Crowley could you not get him into the squad <laughs> and just like just lay down a marker? I saw the Ulster selection beforehand. Munster playing at home, in home and smarting to take the, the the phrase of the moment after their loss against Connacht. And the big thing for me was McCluskey's not playing. And Ulster without McCluskey's like a before and after, not a particularly nice before and after. Like McCluskey gives them the, Ulster are so lateral with Burns at ten and no McCluskey in the centre. And you just go, how is that team going to be able to win away? without the go forward where it was with Big Stew it's they're great to watch yeah he's just really good that's the other thing about McCluskey uh, he doesn't get he's not he's not in the same group as Bundy and and Robbie Henshaw at 12 because those guys have, have absolutely hogged caps uh, for Ireland but McCluskey's really really good he's a super number 12 He's also got shitloads of confidence. Now, he plays so many games for Ulster. Like, he regularly starts, since my friend has come in, he's started like 25 games a season. It's a huge workload for an Irish player. Uh, you know, he's... McFarland benefits immensely from a guy who is an international calibre player, n- never really being selected for Ireland. It's Ireland's best position of depth. Definitely. Without a question of a doubt. Like, Bundy played for the Lions in the tests. Yeah. Or as in it, a test. As did Robbie. As did Robbie. Um, 
So I thought, I, I was looking at it going, oh, Jesus, like the sooner you move Lowry to 10, the better for Ulster. Um, not that you have to discard Burns and Madigan is up there who played for in the 2015 World Cup, but Lowry brings so much excitement and pop. And yet he's played 10 and he, he, he hasn't set the world on fire, but Burns is... He's, everything is at 45 degrees. Everything is lateral without McCluskey to straighten it up for him. And it just, it doesn't help Ulster. Yeah, like we were mentioning by name, like I'm not scapegoating. Like there's certain things he did. Like he made a load of brave tackles against big men. Like he's, he's not like, it's just that there's, there's a real, like a relatively like mid-level ceiling on where he's at. Like he plays, he plays the sort of same game very regularly. And he's not a bad player, but he's just like that's um, that's not going to get Ulster to where they want to be. Um, Who is? Oh yeah, I, I I think that this this is a solution for you, David N. <laughs> um, we were talking about this just after I think it was on Sunday, and with the new uh, changes to the laws regarding international qualification that. World Rugby brought in, namely that if you haven't played for, if you've been capped by a country, haven't played for them for three years and have family links or, or previously residential links to another country, you're eligible for a selection there. I was saying to Andy that Ulster should look uh, to hire Bernard Foley. Who's, Bernard. Yeah, whose grandfather is Irish um, through his father's side who's currently playing for Kubota Spears in Japan, who was Australia's out half for a lot of the Czech era, including playing in the 2015 Rugby World Cup final. Born in like 1989, so 32 now, 33 later on this year. 33 in September. Um, and like potentially qualified for Ireland in October of this year. So like... Japanese contracts are, are big and good, but I think that would be an attractive, I think Ulster would be an attractive landing spot to anybody. Um, they've got a good coach. They've got really good young backs. They've got now, all of a sudden, as I was saying to you, all of a sudden they've got a really big pack. They brought in, you know, at a, at a, a sweep within a couple of weeks of each other, bringing in uh, Dwayne, uh, inverted commas, Elvis Vermeulen and uh, Jack McGrath. It's like all of a sudden their pack is really big. Sam Carter's back in again. Hendo will come back into contention. You're going, Jesus, look at this massive Ulster pack. So that's that's the direction I think Ulster should go in. And like it's it's a really case specific one. It's not like, oh, we should get another Aussie out half. It's like, no, you should get the one who's going to be Irish qualified in nine months and uh, make him an offer he can refuse, but shouldn't. Has a chance of going to the World Cup. Well, we've been very nice to Munster so far, where when everyone else has been kicking them while they've been down. Um, this, I mean, there was some discussion on other podcasts of should Van Pran go now? That seems like kind of crazy to me. Um, that just seems it seems more like a bit of a almost kind of a spiteful yeah. move. But uh, like. What, what what have they what have they played at there with that situation? Well, I, they give him a contract and then he's signed it and then he's walked away. Well, it's like, not the first time it's happened in Irish rugby. There is a get out clause, as you know, 
to mention a hundred articles. Pat Lamb did the same. Um, not really sure why it's there. I think it's there to allow the RFU to sort of sack somebody who's doing like a shocking job and isn't getting on well, like Kieran Keane. <laughs> In, in but, comments but it's more like ago. how how do they misjudge a situation where they're handing a new contract to a guy who's so dissatisfied with the situation that he'll walk away to join the worst team in the Premiership? Like, oh, that's a good question. I I, I don't like, know that. Uh, were they just thinking find two more years of this where we get to the semi-finals and say we're oh we just need to take the next steps? Like, how how do they think? Why would they give him a new contract in the well, first place? The head coach. The era has the era clearly seemed to be coming to an end yeah. already. The head coach situation and appointments is is a little bit clouded because I think David Nusifor is actually in charge of of head coach hires. My understanding is that uh, professional game board in each province is in charge of all other appointments, but the head coaches are basically a Nusifor. Job and like Nusifora has a mixed but sort of better than you would maybe think record. Like Nusifora is the guy who got Razi Erasmus, it has to be uh, said, which was a great hire. And McFarland and friend, like he's yeah. it's good. Yeah, now you got Kieran Keane as well, which was bad. Yeah, Van Gran isn't great. Yeah, um, so there's there's that in the background, like nobody can be sure about the exact machinations of it. Uh, Van Gran, I feel like a lot of commentary on it is really overwrought and emotional. Like so much stuff surrounding surrounding months and like where's the passion in a fucking interview? I don't give a shit about it. Like he gave a mildly testy answer to one question in an interview and all of a sudden it's like monsters deserve more than that, you know. It's, it's, it's not about that. It's not about that answer. Like, you know, you're irritated because you played shit in the last two games. Um like Van Gran is, is in my opinion, like has has strengths, you know. He has weaknesses as well. Like I think he's quite a good organizer. I think he's patient. He's maintained a you know a reasonable uh, relationship with the media, which is like it, taken for granted, but not an easy thing to do. I think you used the phrase head coach, and that's seemed incongruous to me because I'd see Larkham as the head coach and. It was it was when Jackman talked about it in the forty two podcast. I was there going, "Geez, like, what is Van Grand's job? Like, he's he's become the director of rugby." Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's his title. Like, I think he is. He's a coach. Like, he, yeah. he was he was a backroom, or you know, like he was he was on that South African coaching ticket that got hammered by us, and he was like number three or number four, and like that's what he wants to do. He wants to be out in the field and he wants to coach. He's he's not a guy who stands on the sideline in the sessions and you only see him on a Friday, but he picks the team and he deals with the contracts. Like, so... Which I think was, is actually what he's better at than, than coaching. My feeling is, like, I was doing some, a little bit of reading about him, trying to read some uh, Afrikaans articles through Google Translate. And the interesting thing, uh, an interesting thing, which I, I don't know how much of a common knowledge is or the extent of the knowledge about it is, like, his father, Barend um, Van Granis. CEO of the Blue Bulls for the longest time. He's been employed by the Blue Bulls as a rugby administrator since 1983. So uh, by the time Van Grand got his first job in uh, Northern Transvaal, it was 2004. So Van Grand was either 23 or 24. His old man had been employed by the Blue Bulls for 21 years. So he was going into like the family firm, essentially. So his first job was as an analyst 
uh, sort of Vodacom Cup team, which is like their Celtic Cup British and Irish League team, then Curry Cup, then Super Rugby, then he became attack and forwards coach, which I think is that's a uniquely South African coaching title, attack and forwards. Like everywhere else, attack coach is a backs coach, but it's attack and forwards. So he worked under Heineken Meyer, and then so that was two thousand seven. That uh, and then two thousand nine. Can't remember the name of the second coach. Um, and then on to the Springboks from there. But he, like, people spoke very highly of him in South Africa. They're saying he's a real workaholic, you know, first in, last to leave. He's established really good relationships with the players. He was like best man for four of his different players at their weddings. Um, and he was viewed as like a loss to South Africa. Now he was, but he's also, he basically grew up. Um, working for his working for his dad, the first seven years of his, of his career were in the Blue Bulls or the Bulls franchise, and his first coaching jobs were coaching pro players, which is extremely unusual. Like most other coaches, get into jobs through coaching schools or youths, junior or senior rugby, and they have a much different set of challenges. Like there's, you're dealing with trying to identify who's got talent and then you're not always going to have like 15 talented players you might have three out of 15 and it's like how can we best make a team out of this you know and you're like if you have a young player if you have say say you're in a schools or youth organization have a very good 16 year old you'll play because you're like this guy could be our best player whereas van Graan's first job was working with a bunch of pros as their analyst um, so that to me goes some way to explain why he has been slow to identify and then put young players into his team and that he's never had to do it before. He never learned like, yeah, there's a big payoff in taking risks or just like, this is how you do it. You just pick your, pick your best players. You can identify who's going to be a good player. Like Crowley's going to be a great player. Tom O'Hearn's going to be a great player. Gavin Coombe's going to be a great player. Like, Munster, they have, they have good players, good young players in really key positions. Like, um, biggest second row, 8, 9, 10. You know, like, that's a lot of a spine of a team. So, I think Van Granen is a good employee. I think he's very conscientious. But I don't think, and I'm surprised at how such his teams play such ordinary rugby given he spent so long as an analyst i would have thought that all that time all that experience would come you know in terms of breaking down opposition teams and like being innovative but that doesn't that's not how it gets across on the rugby pitches his teams have played shit rugby a lot of them play and in big games they mostly underperform, which is really, really fucking weak. So why do you think the mood is soured in them so particularly after a run-of-the-mill league game against Connacht rather than after semi-final underperformance after semi-final underperformance? Why, what's, what's the, been the straw that's broken the camel's back here? Well, he left. He he went to Bath, and I. Well, I no. I, I think it's. I think it's really important because he got a two year deal, uh, but that wasn't really promoted by Munster. But like <clears throat> to turn down Munster for Bath, and like Bath, who are bottom of the Premiership, Bath, who are thirteenth of thirteen. Um, it's like it doesn't fit in with the perception of Munster as a big club. Um. 
Mun- like Munster are a big club, but like to to to, he's basically turned his nose up at them. And you know, if he was going to Leicester, or if he was going to Saracens, or maybe to Bristol, like and, and again, like there's a lot of money in Bath. It's, it, like it's just that like Bath is like are so far off. And then you're thinking to yourself, is he going to bring Dialende and Snyman with him? Now I think Snyman has signed a two year two year deal today, but like he's had two cruciate injuries in like basically the last two matches he's played. So like would any other club sign him? I mean, fuck, maybe they maybe they would. Like he's 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 world class or he's he's certainly up there. Um and then like losing losing to Connacht, having just beaten Connacht at home with a controversial try, again, like it 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 doesn't resonate. And the rugby's crap. Like it's it's really good. Like there's no heroism about it. Like it's the, the, that performance is absolutely puke ball. And to go on, like even even at the weekend, they won with fourteen men. But that was down to how poor Ulster were. I thought. I mean, I I was very curious to see how the Crowley play. Like how did he get on? You don't touch the ball much as the Munster mm-hmm. out half. Like the team ends up really narrow. And again, you can point to January weather conditions. Da 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 da. Chris Farrell crashes a lot of it up directly from Craig Casey. If the backs get the ball, but by and large, it's the forwards get the ball and they endlessly recycle, and, then and like it, and, and it just ends kicking. up, and it just ends up really narrow, and like that, that's it. Like there, there's no, they don't use the width of the pitch, and it's not like the width of the pitch is the only way to play, but. The, and they had fourteen men, and they didn't have back three, and like there's a number of qualifications about it, but. Like it's awful to watch, and it's 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 ingrained in them as well. Like this is this is what this is what that team has become, and the thing about it is, it's really really hard to beat teams at the latter stages of the season playing that way because you need to be able to play more than one way in order to beat most teams. Like you need to be that good. Plus, most teams that you play against at the latter stages of the season are bigger than you. That's why they're there. Yeah, like I was thinking, of like a player that we haven't seen who would, the best season of his career, definitely last season, Kevin O'Byrne, who like <laughs> we called Fat Pirlo because of he was a midfield genius. Like he was passing the ball all the time, and I was just looking at him and going, and he has disappeared without traces. <laughs> like you got balls in this game, but I <laughs> and you know instead, like it's not a like for like because he's a loser, but like look at Killer, Killer never passes. And he's no. really explosive and quick off the mark, but like, dude never passes at all. Do you think um, the Wasps game? Uh, I mean, this is kind of a bit of a stretch, but I, I like the theory that I come up with here. <laughs> Do you think it, seeing the way that they played in that Wasp game with this sort of like uh, ragtag bag of you know rookie heroes, and oh. the, and then everyone was like, "You mean we could have this?" Rather than fucking box kicks. That and a man no and a manly coming out and going, it's pretty the most enjoyable week of my career. Um like it was, it was a bargain it was a bargain bin miracle match. You know, like it, it wasn't in round six, it was in round one. And like wasps were absolutely decimated as well. But it it really resonated with the monster mystique. Oh, these guys are absolutely down out. They don't have anybody like their best players were their test match animals. Like it was Tyburn, Omani, Dialende. <laughs> like they were the guys who played really well. 
But yeah, they're uh, international. It's like literally by definition, they were the lads who were at home. They were the guys that were at home, yeah. But I think it had a part to play, and it was it was miles more enjoyable to watch. And like I, I go back to the Irish psyche. Like you can't play a game like Van Graham plays, and f- expect for it to resonate with people. Well, so my I, I was thinking about this. I think I was listening to the Forty Two podcast and thinking about this. Um, that uh, it doesn't matter what style of rugby or style of, of whatever sport you play as in like a lot of the talk there's been a lot of kind of like making people people making parallels to Solskjaer and Van Fran which I, I think is rubbish because I always say Munster are Liverpool and I say that as a Liverpool fan you know all the kind of emotional this means more mm-hmm. you know the kind of Masculine clubbing. Yeah, exactly. That kind of like that, that carry on. Um, but like, essentially, when Liverpool played like dog shit under Gerard Houllier and they won trophies, everyone was like, "This is the Liverpool way." And when Liverpool played like all guns blazing, all out attack under Jurgen Klopp, people go, "This is Liverpool way." And when Man United were winning things with like old fashioned like wing wizardry and two centre forwards. That was, you know, that's United football. And then when, like, they brought in whatever, that Kiroz to do the coaching and Ferguson took a step back and just, like, was just fucking puppet mastering everything. And they played, like, 4-5-1 and, you know, were really shrewd in Europe and got away draws. That was the Man United way. Because winning is the man, is the way of a big club. And it's like, it doesn't matter what style of rugby play, Munster play, if they win... But if they play bullshit, kick it up in the air and lose in every semi-final, no one's going to respect it. Or yeah, no one's going to no like it or enjoy that, it. That, that's a very good point. So really, there's... It kind of matters, like, how do you lose? Like, do you, do you lose? Do you go down swinging? Um, so how did Munster become really popular? By losing in the most dramatic, heroic fashion for a decade. Mm-hmm. And, like, they'd win some... Like, they'd win big matches. they go over to Welford Road and, like... Donegal were playing as wires and Roger would kick it from the halfway line out of a puddle and then they go and lose to somebody else. Like, Toulouse would beat them. But, like, by the time Toulouse beat them, it didn't matter. They'd, you know, they'd, they'd given everybody more than their season's worth of value. So, like... That Wasp winger running over Peter Stringer and Lansdowne Road in that yeah. final. Like, you know, they gave it everything in that game. Yeah. Tom Voice, yeah. So, it, it, it matters how you lose and, and that's... Um, like, Matt O'Connor won the league in his first season because the players hadn't forgotten enough of what Joe, and they were really good, hadn't forgotten enough of what Joe Schmidt taught them. Um, and then, like, they lost horrifically. But, like, when Matt O'Connor went out, like, it wasn't unanimous that they, like, it wasn't unanimous among us. Like, we all thought he was absolutely useless and he should be gone, you know, at the end of season two, get this guy gone. But it wasn't unanimous when he was gone that, like, this was the best piece of business that Leinster had ever done. Um, and people might have pointed towards. So, like, it, it's winning, to go back to it, like, papers over the crack, you, you get forgiven everything if you win. So it sort of matters how you lose. That's the... On the subject of it mattering how you lost, or how, how one loses, when Leo lost, whatever, five out of six games in the group stages uh, in his first season... I always thought people made far too much out of it. I was like, like, what's the difference between going out in the group stages 
if you're, if you're like assuming that the guy you've hired is the right guy and going out in the quarterfinal, no fucking difference. You're not winning the tournament. And like Leicester just want to win the European Cup. Like they don't want to get another semi-final appearance. That doesn't mean anything to them. So I, I, I never, I never, people thought that was some massive nadir for Leinster. And I was like, we're clearly already on the way back up from the nadir, which was us not even getting to the playoffs of our own league under Matt O'Connor. I was going to finish up by saying I'm, I was curious to see, I, I was champion Mike Prendergast the last time, and I'm going to champion another former Munster man, um, and like maybe this is a flag of convenience. Michael Bradley was let go of his, from Zebra, and the tone of the um, press release was that like Michael Bradley's a lovely man, and we really like him, and he's, he's gone now mid-season which which isn't a good look for him like they weren't even going to get to the end of the season they were just like nah look he's he's gone and I go back to that idea of the director of rugby I look at it and I go like Brad has so many of the characteristics you'd want from a director of rugby like he's not going to overshadow the guy who comes in as the head coach but he's going to do all of that work and I again like I, I go back to like, what is it that Van Graan is doing if Larkham is the head coach? and or, or vice versa. What is it that Larkham is doing? Because, like, Munster are dreadful to watch, which isn't what I would have thought from Stephen Larkham as a player. And I, and I like, I just, I wouldn't associate it with an Aussie back, backs coach. Like, I, no. But, so Van Graan seems to be the head man. So you're going, like, what are you paying Stephen Larkham for if, if they're going to play like this? Like, what's, what's the point? Um... Why don't you just call Van Graan the head coach and like have Van Ian Graan's Cosgrave title is head coach and Larkins is senior, senior coach. coach. Yeah. It's like what's the point of having a senior coach? Like you don't need a senior coach if you've got a head coach like that. Mm. Whereas if you have somebody who's the director of rugby in that role, and I think Bradley'd be good, you can bring in Mike Prendergast and you can just go, Prendy, you're going to be on the coach doing what it is you do. You're not have to go have to go outside of your sphere. It's just going to be more intense because you're at home, and Brad is going to look after all the other things because he knows everything about professional rugby because and he like, knows everything about Munster as well and he knows everything about Munster like he's an ideal candidate firstly like everyone likes him secondly he's had a shitload of different jobs he knows the rugby world inside and out thirdly I'm sure he'd love to come home and be based in, in Munster long term with job security like he has an idea of how you know exactly he has an idea he's a very real idea of what Munster the sort of where Munster came from and where they want to be, and uh, and you know the personality fit I think would be really good. Like obviously Declan Kidney would be another good personality fit as director of rugby, and again I'm sure coming back to uh, Munster would be something he'd consider. But like Bradley is a guy who's now available. And I think I think it'd be an excellent fit, and the director of rugby host and position in the way the Irish rugby is set up is really valid and sort of ideal because you do need to have an overview of like a three-year plan, you know, where which is not dependent on how you perform as a head coach. It's like, these are the people we have in our academy now. These are the people we have in our sub-academy. These are people on development contracts. These are the positions which they're going to fill. Where can we source other Irish players from? How can we use this 1014 money which is apparently huge <laughs> to buy Johnny Foreigners you know and but like 
my feeling about it, about Munster is like that they need to break their link with uh, their South African overlords. Like all of their all of their NIQ or even now naturalized project players are South Africans. You're going. It's it's, it's a. I don't think that's. Well, Tyke Brown's been naturalized from Leinster. <laughs> true. I don't think I don't think that's provided enough harvest for them. Uh, the Heineken Champions Cup returns this weekend, and does anybody care? Champions Cup, am I right? Um, this tournament with its perplexing schedule and bizarre games getting called off as nil all draws or twenty eight nil defeats or wins. How, it, even if they continue it on to its like to the finish this year, like it doesn't really seem like a competition has much integrity left no i've never been more uninterested in european rugby it's it's wild like in other seasons when they call off rounds entire rounds earlier you're going oh they're just struggling through it and you're going mate you had exactly the same like when it was the first covid you'd understood that there's issues in the second COVID, they couldn't plan it obviously but like they're so shit at organizing it the epc or they've been shit at organizing it since they took it over this is going to be in four major sponsors. Never fucking happened. You know, we're going to change the amount of teams so it'll be really, to a qualification, that'll make it really meaningful. Fucking, that made no difference. Made no difference to the tournament. Nothing they have done has been good. Everything that they have done has been shit. They cannot run, they're like the fucking Tories. They are the Tories. You know, it's all talk, no shame. Just failure after failure after failure. Tournaments, like, I can understand why increasingly the French are like, mm. they've never been madly in love with it, but they used to, like, think it was good. And now they're just like, just, just doesn't hold a cancer. It's, like, it's like the Challenge Cup. Yeah, it doesn't capture the imagination at all. And, like, even the... I was chatting to somebody about the pool structure and who we'd play. And I was there going, oh, we're playing Bath and Montpellier, but then we play somebody else after Christmas because we're in a huge big pool. And then I looked it up and he goes, do we play that? But I thought we played a match at home against Montpellier after Christmas. I was like, uh, I look it up. And then sure enough, we play Bath and Montpellier again. And he goes like, so why aren't we just in a group at Bath and Montpellier? Why are we in a group with everybody else when these are the only two teams we play? Like, how does... So nothing makes any sense. And whereas it used to be that some seasons you might go into round six and everything would be done. And I think maybe in the last two seasons that happened. But all the other rounds, like the, the season had a rhythm to it. And you, you could plan your travel around it. It really worked for the fans. The, the beauty of the Six Nations and consequently the beauty of European rugby is that most all of the trips are achievable. The, mm. the the countries either have like they're either on the same island. Like for the Welsh to to play the English teams is like the best draw. But similarly, like you know, England can drive to Scotland. They can drive to Wales. Not to state the fucking obvious. And you can fly to. And we used <laughs> to talk <laughs> about all the all like the monster fans. They follow us around everywhere. And you go to yeah to where like the Cote d'Azur and like the Ritz. <laughs> You'd be going like all these hardship venues and like you know and going down to the south of France or the north of Spain in April. You'd be like I, I, I do this for my team because I love them. <laughs> 
And I'd build in like, you know, a two week holiday around it because it's lovely down there at this time of year. You know, but like even if it doesn't matter, like if you're going to Leon in, in the winter time, it's a nice break. Like yeah. it's fucking December. Like that's you know, the capital of France. So like the European competition was great and can be great again, but like this current bunch of geese bags <laughs> running it and just fucking running it into the ground. You know? They are just I've I've no time for their running of it. And like obviously I'm fucking sore about Leinster just getting a twenty-eight nil loss just handed to them for you know, come that just ran against the precedent so where they said they allowed like wasps basically players with COVID on the pitch playing against Munster. I just find this I find that like it's sort of infuriating, but the the group system that was broken up to form these pods of that's silly. I don't agree with aggregate games in the second round. I do agree with more knockout games. Like second round, quarterfinals, semifinals, and final is great. Like that format that they stumbled upon last year when the group stage like collapsed of playing a was it last thirty two or last sixteen? Last sixteen. A sixteen quarterfinals, semifinals. It's like, and that answer didn't end up playing uh, a last sixteen match because mm. was it too long? Too got long. snatched away at the last second. I mean that was. That was just better. And like two yeah, and ag- aggregate games in rugby, just like, that's bullshit. That's total bullshit. Oh, it's and nonsense. despite that, the two best teams reached the final last year. And Toulouse were delighted to win it. So, you know, you can kind of, it's like, it's a maybe, 16, maybe, a we're, teams straight maybe, we're all, maybe we're all biased, but like the, the tournament itself still has a lot to recommend it. But the organization of it is, is shite. Now, maybe, maybe that, Perhaps that is a complete bias from us. Like, you know, they must have done something right. What? What did you write? But, but the question is, the question is, like, what? What was it? Didn't do fucking anything right. Like, you say, like the tournament is shite now. The tournament's just been getting worse and worse. The more no, I didn't say the tournament is shite now. Well, but I'm saying. You're saying it is. Oh, yeah, right. But the tournament, the organization of the tournament is shite. Oh, there's a tournament show. But no even, one's interested in it. But even well, they can't sell the fucking tickets to it. That's the problem. Even if people are interested in it, like people wanted to watch the the latter stages, but nobody wanted to go to it. <laughs> like or ah, uh, and I realized there was COVID on last year, but like it, they, they still they can't even when there wasn't, they couldn't sell tickets to it. They couldn't fill the grounds to it. They just they got their like everything. They get everything wrong. Okay. They're the Tories, man. Let's move on. At least it's providing Leinster, who barely play rugby anymore, with a <laughs> game this weekend. Not well, against anybody else. They just play against each other. Like. <laughs> so Leinster are taking a break from playing Leinster A to play, I don't know, Stade Colom or who are we playing? Montpellier. Montpellier. I, I don't even know if Montpellier are going to show up. They've COVID in their camp. We've COVID in our camp. And you know, as of, as of uh, like a month ago, you know, what's what's the result going to be? Someone's going to tell us it's 28 nil to Leinster. I don't think the game is going to go ahead. I'd be surprised if it does. Like, that's that's just a hunch. But, like, Omicron, you had it. Like, it's it just spreads like wildflower. Um, so, if Leinster don't have a game this weekend, when was the last time they played? Bath. Bath. Lansdowne Road. Okay, and Leinster are most of the Ireland team. Yeah. And the Six Nations starts in three weeks. Yeah, 5th of February. 
Um, so when are the Ireland players, who are they going to get a run out against before? Well, it's time for the old-fashioned possibles versus probables. <laughs> <laughs> Admission free to schoolboys. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to a possibles probables game, probably one of the last ones. Were you at that with me? When, like it would have been eight or nine. I probably went, yeah, blues against whites. Yeah. Yeah, mentors. Um, so the story is, you, you turn up, right? You get issued a jersey and a ticket, which you have to return. <laughs> you wear your club socks, thinking you can wear any shorts you want. And then you get given a blue or white jersey and you play possibles versus probables. And the thing to do is if you're feeling unfit, pretend you got kicked in the balls. <laughs> Nobody's going to fucking question it. <laughs> that is a real fucking thing. Oh, I'm going to kick in the balls. And when you come back from the shower, there's a few quid stuck in your boot. <laughs> And if a healthy, you get a few quid in their boot, it's just it's a PUV. And a, health, a healthy dose of Omicron. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for a real final trial, but an actual final trial. Just like, lads may as well have fucking go back to doing jobs. Like, they have so much spare time these days. <laughs> I'm not a surveyor. I am an accountant. I am a sales rep. <laughs> for what? I don't know. <laughs> Who wouldn't it be a final trial? Deadly. Like Cooney and Jack Hardy. Oh, be fucking wild. I'd love it. But they, On the probables. The New Zealanders played one. Like They played Northern Ireland versus South Island. It was the best game I've ever seen. It's one of the, the all-time great games. Yeah. Of rugby full stop. Yeah, be wild. I'd love that. They're going to need to play some fixtures, like... And you play in a jersey that's Debbie and that will never be issued oh, to any other match. And it just becomes an absolute prize. And nobody else can fit into them because they're fucking, like, they're bet onto you when you're a pro. Jeez. This is like that opening game. The opening game of the Viva Stadium was at Leinster, versus, Leinster and yes. Ulster versus Munster, versus Munster College. And Leinster and Ulster won 17 <laughs> <laughs> Luke Marshall fucking ran the game. Luke Marshall and Marty Moore are on the same team. So we're undercooked going into the Six Nations anyway. Um, yeah, I mean uh, Wales at home, I, yeah. France away, Italy home, England away, Scotland at home. Good schedule first. If we were playing France first, we'd lose home or away. Like they've played a lot of matches in in uh, the Pro fourteen, Not the Pro fourteen, the top fourteen. Uh, England have played a lot of matches. All their players play in England. Um, Wales have gone through more or less the same sort of regime of as we have. Wales are worse. Wales are completely locked down, and none of their players ever play for their clubs. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good point. Uh, Wales Ireland is a, is a grudge match. Wales, everyone is. Like, there, there's so many grudge matches in the Six Nations. One of the things that makes it great, but like Wales Ireland, Irish players will be really up for that, and it's at home. So hopefully, uh, people can go to it. Mm. I think. I think I think it'll be full capacity. Uh, that's based on nothing but a hunch. Um, but a, a great, a, like a not the worst opener for us. I prefer to be playing Scotland or Italy first, but um, I, uh, both sides will be undercooked. Mm. Is there anything else we can definitively say about like where Leinster and Ireland are going to be? Or is it just, frankly... No, I just haven't seen them. I haven't mm. seen them play in in, uh, in more than a month. You have no idea. No idea how they're going to be. Like Some players are back from uh, from injury. Sexton, Conan, 
Um, but like, they haven't played. I'm curious as to who he picks at scrum half and who he picks in the center. Um, and like Hendy, Hendy's barely played at all. So like Tyke Burns' form, you have to get him into the team somewhere. Um, Keenan Doris played so well during. So like, what does that look like? Does that look like the second row at this stage, or do you get Tyke Byrne into the back row somewhere? At, at whose expense? Like, who do you drop to get Tyke Byrne in scrum half? They gave Connor Murray a central contract over the which which just looks like helping out Munster. Um, Conor Murray isn't first choice for Ireland. I can't see him going back to being first choice for Ireland unless he gets picked against Wales. But even then you're going, Jesus, like, really, how can you justify this? Apart from the fact that Gibson Park hasn't played, but he played for Leinster recently, but he's played so well because Leinster haven't played anybody. But he's played so well for Ireland that he certainly justifies. And then in the centre, for ages, or not for ages, but certainly in the last 18, 24 months, it's looked like Gary Ringrose and one. And now it looks like you wouldn't pick Harry Ringrose. You'd pick Bundy and Henshaw in the centre. Yeah, just get them. Right. Just get them both on the pitch because yeah. they're the best two. Mm. That's what I'd do. I'd pick Gary on the bench, number twenty-three. With Crowley. What's that? With Crowley. No, Crowley's ten. 